You're tuned in to the Manjeet Minhas podcast. The world of business is a challenging one. From the youngest entrepreneurs to the biggest and most respected names across Canada, you need to have a strong will, determination, and skills to navigate to the top. I'll be talking to everyone from budding entrepreneurs to the established leaders in the world of business. You'll hear their stories of where they were, where they are, and where they're going. I'm Manjeet Minhas, and this is my podcast. Hello, and welcome to today's show. My guest today is Shannon Nokos of Quento, a cake shop in Toronto, Ontario. Shannon is a young entrepreneur with ambitions in the culinary arts. Having gone to culinary school in 2019, she was finally able to open her first brick and mortar location in November, 2021. We'll hear all about that and more as we talk to Shannon today. Welcome to the show, Shannon. Thank you for having me. So let's, I guess, go backwards. Where does your story start? Where are you born and raised and educated? Tell me a little bit about you, yourself, your family, your upbringing. Well, actually, Quento translates to story in Tagalog. So it's fitting, especially how I got into this career. So I am Canadian born, born and raised in Mississauga. And my parents are both from the Philippines and they met here. We've had a kind of mix of a Filipino and Canadian upbringing. So it's been a lot of Filipino food and Filipino influence, of course. And my parents are from two different regions in the Philippines. So we've been able to absorb a lot of that growing up. But we've also had like a pretty normal Canadian childhood. And I grew up loving the arts and design. I'm a very tactile person. So when I went to art school, I had majored in graphic design. And I guess I carried that through every job that I had worked. So I worked in retail for just under 10 years. And yeah, I've always had the need or the want to do something a bit more creative. And I mean, I learned a lot in the retail space, but I knew it's not what I wanted to do. And I had the opportunity to go to culinary school just before the pandemic. And then the pandemic happened. And where did you go to culinary school? I was enrolled in the Alain Ducasse program at Enderin in Manila. Mm. So Enderin is actually an international school. They accept a lot of international students with the focus on hospitality. Mm. So it was a really great school, um, really great program. But because of the pandemic, obviously, the experience was stunted a little bit. And so I came back home with the anticipation of going back and finishing the program and getting my diploma, going through the internship route and finding my way into kitchens. But because I had to come back, I didn't want to look for work. I didn't want to stay at a job for only two months and then leave and go back to school. I need to do something that will allow me to practice what I learned just so I didn't forget the last few months of school, also to kind of make money on the side. I was in a weird spot where I wasn't eligible for CERB or EI or any of that stuff because I wasn't technically working before the pandemic. Mm. And even though I was in school, I was in school, I chose to go to school abroad. So I was in a really awkward position in terms of government funding and CERB and EI and all of that stuff. So I 
had to take matters into my own hands. And so then what made you think that I am going to get into baking and I'm going to get into cakes? So I started actually as a meal prep business because I wasn't focusing on pastry at all. I was being taught like proper French culinary techniques. Okay. And like many pandemic businesses, maybe I'd like kind of fallen into a niche where maybe not everyone needs meal prep because Mm. there are so many other meal prep businesses. So I had to pivot and see, okay, what can I make that is fun and exciting? but also something that I enjoy doing. So there was a little bit of experimenting. I also started going into tartlets and other small baked goods, but I was doing this from home, delivering all of these items. And so I'd be driving from within the GTA. So like, let's say Mississauga to Ajax for like $10 cookies. It just like, (laughs) (laughs) it didn't make sense logistically. So I was thinking, okay, maybe we can pivot into something that is a higher price pointed item, something that is still fun for me to do, but it's kind of a little bit more worth the time and the distance. Because a lot of my clients starting out actually weren't within Mississauga. They were a little bit further away. So I did spend a lot of time on the road. Gotcha. (laughs) And then you came up with the brand, I guess, and now your new products and baked goods and cakes and pastries. How did you decide to start that business from pricing to, you know, using your background in retail sales and marketing? Talk to me a little bit about how, what you had chosen and this was going to be it. And there seemed to be some interest that you were going to actually build this into a proper business. Well, the branding aspect of it, I sketched something out really quick. And I was like, okay, well, this works. It was like a one shot deal. I like sketched something out. And of course, I went to school for design. So I just like came up with something and I knew I wanted it to reflect me. And so we added a lot of shape and color and shapes that if needed, could create a texture, which really reflects who I am as an artist and as a person. So I kind of just did it like one time and it stuck and it's the logo and the branding that we've been using till now. The name Quento comes from, I actually learned the phrase make Quento, which is what our Instagram handle is and our website. That phrase came from a group of friends that I had met in Manila after class, we would say, Oh, let's make Quento. Let's go to Starbucks and make Quento. And it just means to like share stories and to like get to know each other. And I thought it was really fitting for the journey that I was on. And I, yeah, I think like the retail and the sales background really helped. And it also helped in a way where I had been in it for so long. And, you know, there were a lot of things that I liked and a lot of things that I didn't like. And the way that I structure the kitchen culture and the work culture, I mean, I only have two employees, but I make it a very big point to not manage them the way that in some instances I was managed working in retail. I'm very people focused before anything. Learning sales and budgeting and all that stuff was very key in this. I mean, I'm still learning a lot along the way, but I feel like it was a good foundation to start on. Right. Yeah. Having that retail management background. And so once 
you were doing it out of your home and you know you decided to focus on on the products that you've chosen you had the design you had the name etc talk to me a little bit about funding how and where did you get the capital to start the business i bootstrapped this whole thing which wasn't easy to do <laughs> coming from a retail background i have accumulated a lot of clothing and a lot of things that could be sold on the internet and <laughs> I remember the first week of opening the shop, I had spent all my money, all my savings on the construction. I mean, it was very minor, but you know, that stuff isn't cheap. So I had saved all my money for rent and construction and all of the supplies that I needed that I did not save anything for ingredients. (laughs) So (laughs) my first week of opening, I had actually sold half my closet to pay for ingredients, you know, again, going back to retail, that was such a steady and it is a well-paying job. It just asks for a lot. And so you kind of get a little frivolous sometimes having that steady income and being young and just spending on whatever you want. Starting in my early twenties at that, I didn't really learn how to save. Mm. So it took being broke throughout the pandemic and having to like figure out a way to make ends meet for myself and being my sole provider. I think it really taught me how to save and how to be a little bit more strategic with my money. And with that, I was able to bootstrap the opening of the store of the brick and mortar. And yeah, I had that little hiccup where I just sell everything, (laughs) sell all my clothes. But I mean, we're here now and yeah, we're doing great. And so how has that taught you to understand your finances and the basics of financial literacy for your business, for you personally? Have you now gotten advisors and help or where do you go to understand a big portion of what is a business, which is the the money? My mom is our accountant, so that helps a lot. (laughs) But there are still a lot of questions that I have. It's more so... I guess I want to say like a feeling like if I feel like there's not a lot of income being generated, it's, you know, that's kind of like a red flag for me. That's when I kind of stop and reevaluate, okay, where are sales at? How do we generate a little bit more? What are some marketing things that we can do? And then from there, you know, my mom will advise us on how to move forward. But financial literacy is still something that I struggle with. (laughs) I'm a creative person. So Sitting down and reading books and like, you know, reviewing our numbers, that is something that I definitely get help on. I am great at spreadsheets, though. I will say that. Gotcha. (laughs) Me me too. It's how I make all the decisions in my life. (laughs) I'm like, I can record everything, but someone needs to sit down with me and tell me what all these things mean. Gotcha. Gotcha. When you decided... The aesthetic was going to be, which was nice that you had a background, of course, in graphic design and that you were going to market first online. What made you decide that you were going to have a brick and mortar store? I think that from social media, I was able to make a lot of connections. I was able to participate in collaborations and kind of get Quento's name out there that way. We had done a few markets that we're also a product of networking through social media. And those markets really helped in us kind of seeing like, okay, like this could maybe be 
a bigger thing than just working from the basement. And I'd actually invested a lot in getting my parents' basement to a kitchen standard. Right. So I was really anticipating staying there for, you know, a long term. But I was only I was only down I would say I'm always down there. I was only there for like a year and a bit. And then things really started to take off. And actually I was on a delivery route and I had passed by our space now and it was there was like a four lease sign on the window and our main color is royal blue and the facade was already painted royal blue. Mm. And so I had inquired about it and ran the numbers down. And I was like, you know what? I think I can actually do this. So again, it was kind of like a gut feeling thing where I was like, it feels right. The price feels right. What we have saved up feels right. It kind of just fell into my lap, to be honest. Got it. Because most people would say in this day and age, especially, you know, during the pandemic and otherwise, that when um, businesses are doing well through online means, of course, it is a real product you're delivering to somebody. But when you're marketing and all that is really working on social, especially as it is for you, why spend the overhead to have a brick and mortar store? Most people are trying to get away from that. And so I'm a big believer in it because I think it's not only marketing, it is your space in order to invest in. However, that is not the way most small businesses are going towards. And because there are a lot of overhead costs, not only with rent, but with a variety of different things. And so talk to me, do you feel that it was the best decision? And do you feel that you would have more in the future, more brick and mortar stores? Well, first, I definitely am hoping to open at least another location I'd like in the GTA. And one of my long-term goals is to open a location in the Philippines. Oh, okay. Yeah, they have a great food scene there right now. And it's quite progressive. And there's a lot of experimentation that I've been seeing. And of course, all this is online. Mm. But it's really cool to see. And I would love to be a part of that. I think even for right now, the space that we have, we're almost outgrowing it. Mm. So I don't know. It's a good problem to have. But yeah, I agree with you. It's funny how when you start with something and very quickly you discover, oh my goodness, I've outgrown it. And that's a good problem to have, but it is definitely a problem to have. I I remember when we started our first brewery that we built from scratch in Calgary. And I thought, oh my goodness, okay, I'm going to rent out half of the building. I'm not going to need it. Like within eight months, we needed the whole building and I needed to buy two more. So it is a good problem, but it is a problem to have because like I say, it definitely needs capital to be able to do that. And, and talking about expansion, I guess, you know, brick and mortar is one thing, but you, you have a lot of uniqueness to your products. Like I read that you have a flavor called mango float flavor, not just a typical, you know, vanilla and chocolate and, and red velvet. And so talk to me about your expansion and, and your innovation into not only new flavors, but tapping into different markets. Like you mentioned that you want to expand into the Philippines. And so how does different flavors and innovation within the baked goods space really make up what your expansion would be also? Well, we do like to keep the Philippine influence. So mango float is actually an icebox cake. Okay. And that's traditionally what it is. It's sliced mangoes with condensed milks graham crackers and you kind of put it in 
whatever plastic container you have and you put it in the fridge. But our take on it is vanilla cake with the mango, the condensed milk, and the graham cracker crumbles sort of layered in between the cakes. So yeah, it's like things that I find nostalgic and flavors that I grew up loving. Mm. Everything that we make as like, I hate to say fusion, but like a fusion dessert, like those are all flavors that I grew up loving. And I'm such a nostalgic person. So I try to keep it like I don't make things that I personally don't like. And we also have flavors that cater to a crowd that maybe just likes the classics, you know, like mm. confetti birthday cake. Can't go wrong. With, it's like our number one flavor. Right. Or like a vanilla mixed berry. It is kind of, and we get this a lot where they're like, oh, I don't know what to choose because there's just so many options. But we try to cater our menu to what we like and then also what we think others would enjoy as well and kind of have enough variety for everyone. And that's a really great thing to have is that like, for example, in my business, you have to make 5% lager beer always. It is the bread and butter, (laughs) kind of like you're saying vanilla is, right? And so, but in order to keep fresh, exciting, innovative, but also on the top of people's minds, and let's face it, people talking about, you got to do all the fun stuff around it. And sometimes you hit something big, but you, I agree with you, I don't make or sell anything that I don't love myself. Because I think that that's really hard to be a salesperson for something that you yourself genuinely don't love. And that's a fun thing about what you get to do is that innovation piece around what works and what is your you know, bread and butter that you know a lot of people love. Let's talk a little bit about some of the struggles of being you know, a new entrepreneur. I'm sure you felt lots of pressures and had some challenges, not only related to the funding and the capital and, and money side of things, But talk to me a little bit about what have been some of the biggest challenges that you have faced since you started. One of the biggest things is all the admin. Mm. (laughs) Yeah, the admin. And I mean, it was more so like, we are fairly new, but it's going into the licensing and the permits. And do I need a permit for this? And, you know, what kind of business do I want to be? Because if I want it, like, we're just a takeout space. I was considering what if we weren't, what if we were a sit down and the permits for that are endless and the cost for that also drastically change. So reading all of that stuff was probably the most tedious thing about the whole process. But now we're having a little bit of trouble with customer management Mm -hmm. um, and client management. That new side of the admin is a little difficult to stay on top of. I mean, again, it's another good problem to have But that's something that we're trying to work towards and trying to figure out a system for. But with that said, that's something that just like comes with nuance. Like it's a nuance in in a new business. And do you find that with the customer side of things, because people are more demanding or you have competition that you're trying to keep pace with? Or why do you feel customers is that? Because, you know, dealing with people is not easy, no matter if they're team members or if they're customers all the time, no matter what business you're in. But I hear that more and more. And I do wonder why we feel and why that change is happening, that customers are the you know pain point for a lot of people. I wouldn't say it's a pain point. It's more so like, how do we want to accommodate everyone? And we try to, even if it does mean that we kind of overextend a little bit, because I feel like we get a lot of really great 
messages and, you know, like, oh, I've been following you forever. And I've been waiting for the moment to order a cake. And it's like, you know, things like that, you don't want to let people down Mm -hmm. because that's really like, you know, that makes our day all the time. But at the same time, it's finding that balance of like, okay, that really made our day. But then like, how's that going to make us feel when we're overbooked in the next few days to come? Right. It's a little bit of that. It's also a little bit of the competition side of it. I feel like what we do and the level of creativity and the level of quality in what we do, the amount of time that we take to make each thing, I feel like that is very reflective in what we put out. Mm. And so we try to maintain that, but it's also finding the balance of like, how do we take all of these things on? And, and that's, that's a real life problem for expanding and growing businesses such as yourselves. That how do you maintain the brand and the quality and the customer service as you scale? Because you are only so many team members, you have only so many hours in the day, but you, you're looking to scale the business and replicate it hundreds of times over now. So you can't always take that same time and energy in every single product that you put out. You need to be able to replicate it faster without often listening to every person and taking an hour to talk to them about exactly how they want something. Because you got to be able to make money. Literally, where you are, time is money. And having such a unique value proposition and and balancing that is interesting. Because listen, nobody wants to fire customers. But at a certain point in everybody's business, there is that tipping point where you do have to decide, I can't be everything to everyone and I got to choose. And so you do have to fire customers. And that's not easy because in this day and age, everybody can complain and and do that publicly. But I think that most people are pretty discerning when it comes to understanding that you can't be everything to everyone. And comparing everyone to each other within the same industry is not fair either. It's funny. I was just having this conversation earlier today as one of my um, employees, her name's Leah. We were going through the emails together. So she'll be on her laptop and I'll be on the iPad and we'll both be like tag teaming the emails. I was like, I wonder how we can figure out a way to make bespoke cakes like fast food. Mm. (laughs) And like, that's something that probably won't happen, but it's like, you know, how fast can we do this? Like, you know, how, how can we develop a way to like make fast food cakes? I don't know. If, hey, if you figure it out, Shannon, you will not only be a millionaire, you will be a billionaire. <laughs> I'm betting on you to figure that out. And I think that that's the way great entrepreneurs and great businesses are born is that you find a challenge within an industry and within your own business and you solve it. And I think that you are definitely not only on your way, but I'm sure we will see not only great things in the short term, but definitely in the long term from you. And so now we wanted to go a little bit into, you know, mentorship and inspiration. Talk to me about who do you look at as a means of inspiration and motivation sometimes to keep your business going? Because, you know, all business owners and CEOs will tell you that it can be a very lonely place to be often because lots of days and hours look the same. And there's lots of interesting challenges that come up unexpectedly. It's not all literally cake and sprinkles. (laughs) Maybe in your world. What keeps you going? Where do you look for motivation? First and foremost, I listen to myself. This is something that I've been, especially since opening the brick and mortar, trying to 
manage a little bit better. So kind of like listening to what I need, what my body needs, how I'm feeling, why I might be feeling a certain way. Of course, this is a job that requires me to be attentive day in and day out. But yeah, I feel that whenever I take into account how I'm feeling and kind of reacting and managing that, I always get a better result or I always get better focus, you know, whatever it might be. It's, I think that it's really important to listen to how I'm feeling and address whatever problems I might be having. So that's like first, like, I guess the base layer of the motivation and the will to keep going. Other points of motivation, I guess, would be other business owners. Personally, I don't follow anyone who does cakes in Toronto. You know, there are some great cake artists and dessert folks out there, but just for my own mental health and feelings of imposter syndrome, things like that, I kind of try and stay away from it as much as I can on social media. Do you have in in real life, not online, a group of entrepreneurs or small business owners or people in your industry that you get together with, that you are, you know, that you guys are allies of each other and that you share best practices and or stories with each other in order to help grow yourselves? Maybe not in person as often as I'd like, just because right. we're all busy folks. But yeah, I have, you know, across the street, there's Kuchara. And, you know, sometimes we'll just like, that's probably like my number one in-person decompressing, I guess, like hangout. Like we'll just like walk into each other's shops and be like, I need a chat or, you know, we'll just like go off on little tangents about how business is going. And we're not in the same market. They do jewelry and we do cakes. So it's interesting to see how many similarities there are. Right. Being an entrepreneurs, but, you know, not necessarily selling the same products. It's nice to kind of get also fresh eyes on whatever issue we might be having. There's also Jess from Pasta Forever. She's an online friend. She's just down the street, but it's like the next block. But she had been sharing her her stories about licensing and permits and how difficult it was for her. So it was kind of nice to share those timelines and like, who did you talk to? And you know, we shared a lot of a lot of that stuff. And there's also Tito Parles. He's an online at home baker. He lives in Ajax and he grew a very successful Sylvanas business. That's another Filipino treat. But he's also set to open his brick and mortar very soon. And I'm very grateful to to have this sort of circle of friends who are, first of all, non-judgmental because again, like I don't know everything. So, you know, sometimes they'll check me and be like, what? You don't, you didn't do this. You didn't look into that or, you know, but yeah, okay. it, they're, they're, they're great folks to have. And so do you have any mentors in your life? I wouldn't say anyone specific, to be honest. I don't have any business mentors. I think that having this circle, they've been my mentors. Mm -hmm. And it's funny because we're all kind of at the same stage in, in business and mm. and in running our businesses. So I mean they've been really great and you know hopefully vice versa. I've been able to help them in in certain ways. I think that having just a really strong circle of entrepreneur friends is has been the 
the most helpful for me. The last question I've had, I would have for you is that there are many others in your position that are just starting out and gaining, gaining their footing, and not only the food industry, but in business in general. And what would be some of your advice to them? I would say don't look for problems. So when I say that, one of the things that I did was like, I would just read everything on the websites about, oh, what you should do and what you shouldn't do and what you need to do. And, you know, there are are a million things that will go wrong. Don't look for them before they happen. Just, you know, don't overwhelm yourself because when the time comes, it'll hit you and you'll just have to deal with it. And it's not as bad when it happens as you're making it up to be, you know? So I would say, don't try and solve problems before they happen. They will just happen. (laughs) Gotcha. Well, that's great advice. Well, thank you so much for joining me today, Shannon. One thing's for sure, you can't buy happiness, but you can buy cake. And that's kind of the same thing, I believe. (laughs) Thank you so much for joining me today. I really enjoyed our conversation. Thank you again for having me. Thank you for listening to today's episode. If you like what we're doing on the show, be sure to follow us, leave us a like, rating, and review wherever you listen to your podcasts. Be sure to tune in next week for an all new episode with another great guest for more insightful conversations.